Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, building it, selling it, creating it, and pricing it. Today, I have a special guest, Robert Bendetti, who's the Chief Financial Officer of Lifecycle Engineering, which is a professional services, professional engineering company headquartered in South Carolina. Robert, welcome. Thank you for having me, Mark. I'm very much looking forward to being on the podcast today. A little finance and sales brainstorming session. Yeah. You know, um, I've been, I've consulted with a lot of different companies and it's very common, not quite universal, but very common for the finance group or the chief financial officer to be the uh, chief sales prevention officer. And that's just not fair. And I would wanted to get you on to kind of give some perspective on your role in the sales process. Uh, what it is, what it commonly is, and maybe what it should be instead. Yeah, maybe let's break those into two pieces, maybe what it should be and then what it is. So it should be the CFO is an internal consultant and partner for the sales leaders, all of them. And somebody who partners with and sort of helps out the sales leaders, they're trying to grow the business and achieve their personal goals and the corporate goals. What it turns into, maybe there's like, because of a couple of salespeople act in some crazy ways, CFOs get a little fired up. They get a little bit excited and uh, then it turns into an adversarial relationship. And the CFO who's normally he or she has a great personality, uh, they start not being fun to be around with. And sometimes it, it turns a little negative, unfortunately, between some finance folks and sales folks. And in, in complete fairness, uh, it is not the CFO's fault uh, a great deal of the time. I mean, obviously it always takes two to tango, but think about um, the CFO lives in a very measurable world and objective things that are objectively measured. And I've been around salespeople and consulting sales performance for a long time. And I can tell you that when a salesperson asks for a discount, very seldom is there anything objective in that request for a reprice or a discount or something like that. I think part of it, Mark, is that to build on what you said is also the CFO will create metrics or compensation programs that foster a adversarial relationship between finance and sales. And instead of it being one common good, we are in this together, that, you know, as a finance person, you're, you're creating ill will because of poor, poorly choosing metrics or poorly choosing the structure of commission programs. Uh, and we do it to ourselves sometimes. Tell me, uh, give me an example. Well, metrics, I mean, you're, you're going to, you measure what you monitor and you're going to get what you, what you report. And sometimes there's, you're reporting three things that you think are important. 
and you assume people are looking at the other four or five things that are important, but they stop. And some people will, uh, they, they will push things to extremes, not everyone, but a small group of people will push things to extreme and assume that the only important things are the three metrics you talk about the most. And so that's, that's an example. And then on the commissions, I see two things. I think that uh, you're, if you create a commission program, you've got very smart people who maybe the second year are going to figure out a little bit how to game the system. And not that they're doing something against the rules, but they're just pushing the rules to the edge. And that might drive strange behavior. That's an example. And then the third, and you are asking for, um, you know, a, a very aggressive relationship going forward is finance people will, they will change a commission program or they'll change a region of their best salespeople. And, and you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll cut a, a salesperson's market in half or they'll change their commission program because, you know, the, a handful of people are, are making enormous sums of money. And that's so dumb that, you know, th those, those are your best salespeople why are you making them mad that you should be worrying about the 20% of salespeople who are terrible? Make, make them mad. Make them want to leave. Don't make the handful of awesome salespeople upset. Okay. Those are two things. Those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, there's a lot there. One of the things I have uh, a friend who had founded a research shop, uh, CSO Insights for sales research almost same flatline number for 12 years, ending six or eight years ago, was that a, only about 25% of sales forces had any portion of their comp plan tied to deal profitability. Uh, I don't know if that echoes your experience, but I wonder what happens to a sales leader who manages the only department that doesn't care about profitability and then whines about the fact that he doesn't have a seat at the leadership table. I think that it is an important part of the, the, the calculation, if you will, the, of things that the chief sales officer or growth officer, he or she should be looking at. I would say at least gross margin. Uh, there might be some overhead or fixed costs that they can't control. So maybe that's something that he or she doesn't concern themselves with, but gross margin, I think is a really important metric for them to understand how how important what they are doing. They are the sharp end of the spear and the beginning of the funnel. And so that gross margin or that contribution margin is so important for the rest of the organization. And I think it's important for them to understand it and then communicate it with the rest of the team because man, they provide the care and feeding of every single person. There's got to be some gross margin for the net margin. Yeah. So. Um... When you were saying that, I was reminded of a saying of my favorite uh, statistician. Uh, he said, far better an approximate answer to the right question than the precise answer to the wrong question. So oh, amen. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what I call directionally correct. Yeah. I don't need to know the exact answer. I just need to know when we go outside, are we going left or right? And yeah. we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, we so we've been dancing around this as you know, since we both know it, but I want to make it just crystal clear for our listeners. When you offer a discount or when you offer a lower price, every dollar you discount was a profit dollar. When you sell a new dollar, yeah, maybe 20 cents of it is a profit dollar. But when you discount a dollar, 100% of that dollar 
comes off the profit because your cost didn't change to deliver what you just discounted. So there can be good reasons to donate your profit dollars to your customers, but um, there are not as many reasons as a lot of salespeople use in the real world. Well, I want you to know that I just wrote down, donate your profit dollars. And uh, Mark, for like the next 30 years, I'm gonna describe when anyone suggests we make a concession or to give a discount, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna ask why we're donating our profit dollars to our customer. I, okay, I'm not sure you were intending to do that, but I love that. Good, well, uh, I'm glad we exchanged some value on this podcast. Um, having done, having uh, been maniacally focused on customer value and profitability for a big part of my life as a product manager with P&L responsibility, uh, that becomes crystal clear in a hurry. Yeah, it's hard without having a whiteboard uh, to, to visualize this, the numbers part of this, but I'll try here. So, you know, you and I, Mark, are selling something for a hundred bucks and we normally have 10% margins. We're hoping to sell a hundred and keep 10 bucks. And with that 10 bucks, we'll do stuff with it. Like um, maybe have a fun party, a fun Christmas party or something at the end of the year for all the people who made it possible. But sometimes you don't sell it for a hundred bucks and end up with 10, you sell it for 99, well, holding everything else equal, you're going to end up with nine. So a dollar discount turns into a 10, like, which would be 1% of revenue turns into 10% of profit. And so it just explodes. And the bigger your margins, the bigger this explosion. And so that's why I think, Mark, what you said is so important. Um, you know, not all revenue is good, but no revenue is bad. So they're somewhere in the middle where the finance folks and the sales folks got to get together, hold hands, even if you're like squeezing each other's hands really hard, you got to hold hands and, and close some deals. But uh, not every deal is good. Not all revenue is good. Yeah. I had this real blessing early in my career of working for a company that was uh, very rigorous about understanding customer perceived value and pricing based off customer perceived value. We made uh, semi-custom and custom products and we taught salespeople um, and myself, you know, people like myself who are a product manager to talk about the customer outcome that we were affecting and then getting the customer to discuss how many dollars that outcome was worth to them. So if we could through the the that conversation say we're solving a million dollar problem with our two hundred thousand dollar solution we could feel pretty good about that because we had actually quantified that with a customer um and so then when the customer said can you give me thirty thousand dollar discount then that discounting conversation becomes very easy a couple of really strong points you brought up mark i think one is that you started the whole process of this story by talking about a customer discussion, which as the CFO, I get a lot of salespeople who come and talk to me. And that isn't the default position of every sales leader, every growth <laughs> leader. Um, a lot of people will talk features instead of benefits. And when when somebody's talking to, when, when, when I am trying to sell lifecycle engineering services or uh, um, one of our sales leaders are, I think you got to talk about the benefits to yeah. the customer from the customer's eyes. And that begins with a customer discussion. The customer has to share with you 
what is their pain point and the kind of solutions that they're looking for. And then you can steer your product, your service, your offering to the needs of the customer. And so I just wanted to start from that. It, you almost made an assumption there, like that's how all conversations uh, start and they don't. As the guy who sits in the room uh, with uh, 10 pitches a day, Mark, not everybody's doing what you're doing. And I, I would recommend starting with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cut you off. I completely agree. It's not only that not any, not many people do, it's very few people do. It's, uh, it's a near universal that salespeople stink at the most important part of selling. Yeah, I had somebody come in recently virtual, you know, come in virtual session, full 30 minute block, you know, meeting with them for, for as a favor type of thing intro. And we were 25 minutes in and I, I, I'm like, man, I've been talking the whole time answering questions like what? what do you do? And then boom, that for two minutes, they hit me up with what they do. It ended up, to, of course, totally catered to my problem and the stresses I have and the things that are going terrible right now. And I'm like, uh, you know, uh, uh, crap, can we have a follow-up session? Because like, I got all those problems. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And obviously, you know, they just hooked me right there. You know, it was a shiny lure right in my eye and I bit. Um, but that was the, you know, they, they were laying the bait to have that value proposition, as you said. And um, I think that's really important. Uh, so just sort of as a, a, a basis to answering your question is totally agree with the idea of identifying the customer's perceived value and understanding the customer outcome by asking and seeking to understand. And then what I, one story I heard a growth leader talk to me about is when they were trying to describe the product is that you got to break it down with the customer that as simple as, you know, we're selling services, lifecycle engineering and services, but you know, you've got two people sharing a price with different value propositions. It's like one product you're looking at includes shipping and the other one doesn't, right? Those are, there's just two different value propositions and lifecycle engineering may have a basket of things we bring and additional gains that we will share with you, but there's an investment for those gains. If you, if you don't want us to provide those gains, well, our price would be cheaper too, but we are providing that additional solution because of the customer conversation that we had. You yeah. identified that as a pain point, even though it was absent from the RFP. You know, so our product includes shipping because in a conversation you said include shipping, even if it wasn't in the RFP or some physical document. So I, I'd, I'd like to just, I'm sort of echoing or parroting uh, what you said there, but I think, I think that is important. And it's something a CFO wants to hear about. You yeah. know, we like gain sharing models and understanding the value proposition. And that that's music to our ears. Yeah, I'll, I will tell you two things. One, that gain sharing is absolutely what you're trying to do with value pricing, value-based pricing. But that gain, when you tell a customer uh, this product reduces this risk, the dollar value to the customer, the, the value that exists in their mind, that number gets bigger and bigger when you force the customer down the path of quantifying it. So that's point one. And then point two, if you didn't have the conversation to that level, which is, in my belief, that's the salesperson's responsibility to have that conversation every single time with every single customer. And they come back to you, the CFO, and say, you know, the competition's really tough on this one. We need to drop 10% off of the price. Um, wouldn't it be nice to have a corporate discipline to say, well, tell me about the value you quantified with the customer. 
did you go through the detailed conversation and it really found and you really found out that there was 10% that you, we needed to discount or did you not do that conversation and now you're asking me to put a band-aid over your poor sales performance I, yes i think that i break that into a couple pieces uh, around discounting in particular and pricing and i think authority levels are really important mark uh, that not every discount requires the CFO to be involved. So Mark, uh, that would probably, that's a partnership between senior senior leadership of the organization and the CFO. It's like, Hey, let's, yeah, I just want to deal with the big rocks. Let's set, let's set sort of a line where you got to call the CFO into the meeting. If you want to provide this kind of discount, whatever that line is, you can ensure that you will never hit it. Uh, If they got to break that deal up into seven pieces, if it's a dollar threshold, right. They'll be like, (laughs) Hey, I got to send you uh, seven. You're going to have to send me seven POs and seven RFPs because we got to get this deal size down below the CFO's signature. So you might want to put percent and dollar sign CFO yeah. uh, or they'll sneak around your authority level. But I, I, you know, the CFO can't be involved in everything and shouldn't be. And so, but there should be a threshold uh, to Im- imply the importance of it. And then I think it comes down to education and partnership and conversation with the senior leadership of the sales organization. So they understand if you're not the low cost leader, then let's not lead with price. And so price shouldn't be the only thing we're negotiating. Uh, Now you might be the low cost leader. And so you lead with price. And so every conversation is about price and everything you do is about making yourself less expensive, but there's only one of those per segment. So probably not the people who are listening to this call. So don't lead with that. If that's all you got, man, you are a one trick pony. You're not really in sales. You're just a person who passes out one sheets. Yeah. Uh, Somebody once said if the, if price was the only reason everybody bought, there would only be one vendor of everything. And I can completely automate you out of the process. If all you do is lead with price, guess what? Salespeople, uh, AI is coming. I don't need you. I can create a bot to communicate phone and voice and text, everything you think you're doing right now and work myself through a funnel, even through qualified leads and have, let's say I add a real human to close a deal. If all you do is price, if that's, oh, hey, but that's my game. That's what I do from industry to industry is I lead on price. Okay, guess what? You are not going to have a job really soon because I can I can pay like $5,000 for software that does what you do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and you're, you're absolutely right, Robert. And so that means that the job of the salesperson is to build value in the customer's mind. Remember I said that value doesn't get as detailed as it could be unless you walk the customer through a conversation that builds value between the customer's ears. And salespeople are awful at that on average. So think about there's so little competition. You don't have to be elite at this to be way better than most of your competitors. We would like you to be elite, and that's what I pursue with my clients, but um, you don't have to be that much better than awful to be the best in your industry. Everywhere I've worked and uh, I've been in a bunch of different industries, I, I've noticed a pattern with like the top 20% of salespeople at every firm. There's some common themes and they're, man, like those, he or she's the top 20% superstars. 
they're, they're, they're closing 80% of the deals that are bringing margin. Maybe not 80% of the quantity, but 80% of the margin is coming from 20% of these ninjas. And the thing that they have in common, I've noticed is like you said, they're bringing value to a customer. They have relationships with customers. They are thought leaders as perceived by the customer. And that customer thinks of them as like a partner, a guide, a trusted advisor. And oh yeah, they also work somewhere and sell something. I just see that as a pattern. They're almost not salespeople. They're, they're all those other things. And it's kind of impressive actually how they do it. Yeah, it is impressive. So sales performance experts, the sales training industry, sales enablement, sales automation, all these folks have operated under the assumption that sales is a production line process that you can automate the crap out of. And the paradigm is sales is a process we perform on a customer. And these high performers break that and say, yeah, we're, we take them through steps, but the steps we take them through are their buying process, which includes informing themselves uh, where the automation school of thought assumes the customer is going to self-inform and, and our marketing content helps them do that. Um, but those elite salespeople know that when a customer does that, they under-inform and they misinform. And rather than taking that self-informing for granted uh, to a mediocre customer solution, they commit themselves to helping the customer do better. And it's a completely different thought process that is, it's not incompatible with this automation school of thought, but it is outside of the scope of almost all the training and the automation you see on the market today. Your thoughts. Yeah, I think of marketing is super helpful in like the awareness bucket or trust, brand awareness, um, bringing value at like the the company level or introductions. I think that's helpful. You know, if I if somewhere in the back of my mind is the name of your company, the logo. Oh, I think I've heard something. That's helpful when you come to to set up a meeting with me, and. At some of the companies I've worked at, if there was a, a low purchase price, uh, I think that marketing can be super helpful with like inbound lead generation and inbound sales. Um, but mostly I, I think of them as uh, superstar partners at like putting the ball on the, uh, you know, sort of getting the players to the game, to the field. Uh, and then it's going to take a sales leader to close a deal. And, uh, you know, I just think, uh, and I, you know, tell, tell, trying to tell this to accountants is sales is hard and it takes a special kind of person to just take that hit on the chin over and over and over. And they just have a, an amazing attitude and a short memory to go out there every day and try to bring some, uh, some, uh, some food for the rest of us to eat off of. Yeah. Let's circle back to the CFO role to be a partner with those kind of people. I maintain that in, in my experience, uh, only a small number of chief financial officers actually track which salespeople consume most of the or produce most of the discounts or are responsible for what I call discount spend. Um, and I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering if you share that experience that 
a lot of CFOs really don't track as well as they should if, if there's a certain salesperson who's giving away the discounts or if there's a sales manager whose team is getting all the discounts or if there's an one customer who's extra good at whining or if there's a product that suffers more competitive pressure than other products uh you know that last one can be a valid reason to have a discounting conversation some of the other ones are a lot more suspect and if you don't have a tracking or a, or a, a metric system that helps you comb out the one from the other you could be making a lot of mistakes so the sales folks are my internal customer so everything i said about having a perceived value and understanding customer outcomes and customer discussions like i i need to be having these kind of conversations with my internal customers which includes the sales and growth leaders i don't always do this i'm sort of i hope i'm not coming off as preachy i'm really talking to myself and you're just present and i'm hoping to try to manifest this into reality but i know it's something that i need to do and we all need to do all the fellow bean counters out there so that that's the first part i need you know starts with having a conversation if you don't know these things are going on or who's doing it it's probably because you're not having these these conversations and then second part is some systems track this really well and it's very obvious some sales processes are very robust and detailed and during the the sales pipeline review process during the gate reviews like a green team review during a pricing discussion if it's large enough you're sitting in it before the deal gets made so in some organizations either the systems will identify for you or just the process will help you identify because you're in the meeting because it's large enough and a pricing discussion is going on and you're hearing the crazy talk before it is a uh, actually put on paper and the customer approves it right nothing yeah. worse than hearing about this you know at the end of the quarter or something and uh and then you're right uh, there are products absolutely or services that warrant different pricing and i think you need to uh, you need to understand those things and you don't you, you learn these things by conversation or your own research and it's probably true mark i hadn't thought about that angle that there's product services where there's just going to be a concentration either because you're trying to expand or there's a threat from a, a competitor maybe that wasn't in an adjacent market now they're coming over uh it's a good point and something you need to keep an eye out uh maybe do some scenario planning i hadn't done that so i'm sitting here thinking mm, i need to make a note this year when i when we're talking about envision future and budgets and one two three four year plans uh doing some scenario planning about what products maybe now aren't there aren't pricing pressures uh and, and threats to discounts but might be uh, so good point i just think that if you muddy the water of the discounts that are warranted with the ones that are just a salesperson trying to get a sale at any price rather than at the right price when you smear those things together you suddenly don't have any information any actionable useful information and you're not doing your salespeople any favors either i think sometimes um a tip would be i found if the organization's large enough and the structure can support it i think an embedded analyst within the sales team can be really helpful and for two parts one an embedded financial analyst could help the 
the sales or growth leader create presentations, create marketing materials, a talking points or narrative within their tech proposal that identifies that value, that gain sharing, that benefits to the customer. Yeah. So yeah, they're on overhead. They're not directly billable, but they could help you get that next sale because they're kind of speaking the bean counters language because they're like a finance person. Yeah. Uh, and, but maybe they're like an entry level, early career person. And so they're like, think it's cool to be embedded with the sales or ops folks. And they can speak the language of your customer who, who would sign that PO, you know, your customer's senior leadership. Um, so that, that can be an idea. It, and if, if that exists, the CFO, well, now I have a, a person who's part of the sales organization, but they speak my language. They're an embedded finance person. You know, they, they understand the words that I use and I can use them as a partner to communicate yeah. ideals. Now, if that doesn't exist, exist then you got to get out of your office and you got to help and support these sales folks understand the math behind the decisions that they're making. And, it, you know, some of these people, you know, they went into sales because they didn't like math and uh, they just don't understand the things that you're talking about. That could be that could be a couple people. And then there's a bunch of people who you're paying them for revenue, you're paying them for units, so they are closing deals and getting you revenue in units. If something else is important, then you need to communicate that or make that part of how you pay them. If margin's yeah. important to you, then it should be part of your conversation or it should be part of their compensation in some way. Yeah, well, my first real career level job was at a company where this company where value and value pricing was a religion. If you didn't understand your customer's business, how they're using our product and how they were going to grow their business using our product, you weren't doing your job and we weren't interested in supporting you in failing to do your job. Two things I want to get, I'm going to, maybe it's a little bit of a statement, but I'm also interested in your opinion. One is I think like actually the greatest plight the worst, the most terrible, the most heinous thing ever to be invented in the pricing game. That's one thing I want to talk about. And then the second, I want to talk about sort of an exception to this low margin conversation. And I'm going to start with that one because I think two things can be true and that gets complicated and people's brains explode. But two things can be true. I'm very rigid. I'm an accountant. And I think fee is what fuels our future and it's sacred and it's holy and profit uh, should be held with reverence. It's almost as important as cash. And so there's minimum standards and an exception should be frowned upon. Right? But guys, gals in the, the CFO game, exceptions happen. And sometimes it's worth green lighting and it's good. And just yeah. because you make an exception does not mean the world is going to crumble and it's the end of the world. And an, ex an example of that is if you know somebody comes to you with an existing customer and there's some accretive, additional, unbudgeted, new work that could happen. Um, and this is a great customer. And there's a little add-on that they want us to do. It's like a super low lift. It, it requires no additional corporate support. And so they're looking for a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, a discount. Great customer, always pays on time. Boys and girls, that's the time to make an exception and partner with the sales folks. They're in your good graces, you're in their good graces and partner with them. Uh, and so I think there is a time and a place for a discount and some accepting some lower margin work. And, and the reason CFOs that are listening 
is because you've assumed cost based on a certain basket of volume. And this is accretive. This is an addition to the budget. So guess what? All your unit costs are lower than quote unquote you've been telling everybody. So this is greater margin than what you're reporting in your project reporting or your financials. And, and so you need to understand that. And you should be able to calculate that off the back of an envelope super fast. And so you can nod and make the salesperson think they're getting a discount when really they've lowered all of your unit costs and it's really not much of a discount. They're yeah. doing you a favor. All right. So that's one, that's one thing that's coming to mind. And then Mark, this is the thing I think is the worst thing ever invented. And it's this declining pricing model where some customer comes to you and says, okay, I'll pay you $100 now. Next year, I'm paying 99 for the same thing. And then 98, and then I'm paying 97 per unit the next year. And that drives me nuts. That, that actually, I think, is the worst thing ever, ever. And whoever came up with that, and if your company does that, I don't like you. And that's a that that's bad. You should, as a customer, you should not ask for stuff like that. That's ask, asking a small company for net 180 day terms. You're an idiot. Yeah. Um, there are 10,000 purchasing people who are incentivized, who get a bonus for negotiating a 2% discount every with every renew, renewal. And that is the reality of their lives because they were not taught they were kind of taught you need to buy on total value, but they weren't taught how to measure value or how to find value. And absent understanding the big picture of my business, I can't understand price, so I'm gonna expect that 2% discount every year. Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Customer, I'm, I can't charge you 100 this year and then 98 and then 96, but I can charge you 104 this year and then 102 next year and then 100 the year after that. And you'll get your bonus and it will be the same price that I'm offering you today. Would, would you like that, Mr. Customer? And there are uh, purchasing people who will do that. If you haven't created the paper trail for the 100 so that the one, you know, the 104 looks like gamesmanship. Oh, it happens all the time. And if as a CFO, if you're purchasing person, you're bonusing like this and they're doing this, you are, that is exactly what's happening. You are paying your vendors 104, then three, then two, then one, then zero in my story. That That is exactly, these people aren't stupid. This is exactly what's happening. And um, it just it just frustrates me, that particular scheme um, <laughs> that, uh, that that's worse than a, di you know, hey, can you hook me up with a discount uh, in Q4 on something? You know, that's, that's one conversation, but these deals in perpetuity where theoretically the margins get worse and worse like my costs go down yeah come on have you labor's going up materials going up you're killing me smalls you're yeah. just trying to put me out of business i hate yeah. that Urgh. yeah it's kind of amusing but not amusing in a fun way so robert we are we've had a great conversation how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you more Best way is LinkedIn. So that's really all I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm the only Robert Vendetti that is a CFO. So I'm easy to find. I'm the bald guy. And uh, I accept connections and uh, would love to have anybody reach out to me via LinkedIn. Uh, and just for everybody's um, edification, Robert has been great to, to talk with and work with uh, and to connect with. So 
Hats off. Robert, thank you very much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I enjoy the podcast and I enjoy being a part of it. So thank you, Mark. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we declare that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that managing your customers to value is a lot more like brain surgery than you originally thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.